0: You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your dog guru. And today we are talking about anticipation and how it affects your dog. So anticipation is one of the things that I feel are paramount to talk about with a client. When I started early on, I would explain to them how, when they weren't intending to be talking to their dogs, they were. And their dogs were always anticipating a specific response or a specific payoff. Uh, reaction. There's a lot of different terminology that surrounds this particular topic, but essentially what it means is they learn to read the same patterns that you may completely dismiss. You know, just like we've talked about with any, you know, separation anxiety, some dogs are acutely aware of, you know, their owner picking up their shoes means they're about to deuce out, and then some dogs aren't fine with it at all. They get really stressed out. They're not happy about it. Um, they can get downright pissed and destructive. So it kind of depends on the dog you have in front of you. But what, it, what doesn't change is that all dogs have a form of anticipation, whether it's positive or negative. Um, with, with positive or negative association links, you're gonna see it in any dog. A, any dog that you ever have, they all have an association. A really simple one to remember would be, you know, the anticipation of mealtime or a walk. You know, everybody <laughs> knows that when their dog sees them and, you know, they pick up a leash, they know they're they're anticipating a walk. So that's a very rudimentary way of explaining what anticipation can signify to a dog. Now, take that same event and let's kind of tear it apart a little bit. So the first part about it is when you pick up a leash, it essentially to the dog signals a response, okay, not only are we going for a walk, but There's gonna be exposure to new stimuli. Your dog isn't thinking in technical terms, but in reality, he's thinking, okay, I'm gonna have an outlet. So when your dog starts anticipating that, the excitement of that can build into what? Anxiety. It can turn into anxiety really easily. That line crosses from simple happiness to, oh, we're not going out there fast enough. Oh, now I'm so excited. Now they're eliminating on your floor. So things that start as even positive things can start going in the other direction and they may not be what you would generally associate as anxiety but i think what i hear most it was associate or were conversations that stemmed from separation anxiety versus what i saw more often which was impatience and if a dog could anticipate everything that an owner was going to do and the owner was in every way predictable and in those ways, it wasn't a positive experience, or perhaps a, a consistent experience that the dog could respect. That would cause problems. So while you need to be as consistent as possible, and we are human, I mean, some days you try and be home by five o'clock, and you get stuck in traffic at seven thirty, and the dog has an accident. There's no way around that. But anticipating things for a dog really sums up events in their lives. So let me explain that. Each time your dog anticipates an event or a response, it that response and that event is, all of the emotions associated with it are collected and recorded mentally. That becomes your pattern. From the pattern materializes into emotional programming and, you know, That can be positive or negative. You can train your dog to love when you come home and you can train them to be calm in that process or you can train them to be neurotic and all over you when you get home. And Before you know it, you're dropping groceries all over the place while Fido greets you in the way that he knows best. (laughs) So, everything, anticipation plays into everything about a dog. There are other forms of anticipation though. So, you know, think about when you're approaching another dog on a walk, your dog could be anticipating that event. But think about things that they anticipate that they enjoy. You know, heading towards PetSmart, for example, um, or another, you know, a- any pet store. If, if they're heading towards, you know, a place where they've gotten toys, cookies, anything, or just had a good time meeting other dogs, they have a positive association. So that positive association creates the anticipation, which then, you know, if if it's not main, if it's if it's not managed, it can escalate. Um, I've never seen anticipation decelerate, so, you know, when you're talking about, oh, they're excited because they're about to get fed, well, you know, if you don't have a solid sit and wait, or a sit and stay during mealtime, and they're not calm, they're going to be wolfing that food down. They're more likely to hack pieces up, um, you know, just eat way too quickly, uh, inhale way too much, so... Anticipation can play into many different roles and facets of a dog's life. Now, this all may seem obvious, but when you're training, you consider it. But when you don't realize you're training, that's really where the danger comes in. Because, uh, I'll give you an example. I have a really intuitive puppy. He learns when we're trying to teach him good things, and he learns when we're all shut down for the day. So, you know, for example, he figured out how to get out of any door in the house, Uh, he's only 15 weeks. So (laughs) it's it's early, but you know, when you have a dog that can rationalize and reason through a problem, then they're anticipating the resolve, the result, the ultimate goal that they had, and that huge payoff, that emotional payoff. So if he got outside, right now the weather is cooler than what it normally is, and he's obsessed with being outside, And because I'm recording, he can't be because he's always with me. So to give you an example, you know, I'm sure he would like to bust out of the doors and he could be anticipating that. And in in that anticipation, we've seen him bat at the doors a couple of times to try and go out. Not because he has to relieve himself, but because he just enjoys being out there. So, you know, there there again, you know, we're running into something negative from what was just him enjoying the nice weather. Uh, But it went unmanaged and... By not having him in a down and giving him something constructive and fun to do, like chew on a bone or play with a toy or you know play a little tug with him and then do what I wanted to do, I was asking him to do nothing, actually. I, I, I said nothing to him. I, I gave him no direction whatsoever. I just let him wander around. And that's exactly what I would have advised a client against. I wouldn't tell them just to let a, a, a puppy wander around. I would have told them, you, if your eyes can't be on the puppy, the puppy either needs to be in a crate or a safe space that's equivalent to a crate. Um, A lot of people like pens or baby-gated areas. It depends on your dog, your lifestyle, your situation, your personal choices. But when you can't have your eyes on a 15-week-old puppy and their jaws are huge already, you have to make choices. And today was not my finest morning. Uh, So as a result of that, I did what any owner did. I I made a mistake. That said, it was very quickly corrected. I (laughs) immediately hustled him towards, you know, the place that he's allowed to be and asked him to do something he knows really well, He's, he knows all of his cues. So, you know, I could ask him to do a combination of cues and then I brought him outside to make sure he didn't have to go potty. And these are the things that anyone will deal with. You know, when you have a puppy, this is normal. This is your daily life. You're gonna be going out a lot. You're gonna be managing accidents a lot. Uh, to give you another example, talk about anticipation. It happens for people too. You know, if you have had a bad experience on a walk, You could be anticipating, if you've had a bad engagement with a neighbor or a neighbor's dog, you could be anticipating on every walk having another run-in with them. Well, because you're feeling that, everything you feel feeds right from one end of the leash to the other. Just like you can feel their stress and when they're getting all tense and worked up, they can feel that from you. So projection is really important and state of mind is even more important. So take deep breaths, um, if there are areas in your neighborhood where you know a certain person or a certain event is for sure going to happen, I don't say avoid it altogether, but you need to get your head straight before you can handle the problem. So, you know, I don't—I'm not encouraging you to avoid it, but first you need to manage your stress, which may mean doing simple exercises at a distance and then slowly closing in on the distance, just the way you would with your dog if your dog had an anxiety response. The other thing that can cause anticipation is. Um, Like, I had a a client dog, and he knew when we rounded a corner about four blocks away that we were closing in on a dog that at one point in his life had attacked him. And now this sounds like, it sounds rudimentary to most people. Well, just avoid that part of the walk. Just go a different direction. Well, the owner had a very valid point, which was, first of all, he used the dog for work. Um, I won't go into what he did, but the dog needed to be able to respond appropriately in merely any situation. And as a result of that, he didn't want to hide and behind a problem and use a crutch by just avoiding it and going the other way. And one of the things that he said I wish more people were aware of, if I don't fix this, this will become something else too. And that's true. So when you're dealing with anticipation here, the dog was getting all worked up as we, I mean, his, his body language shifted. He started rolling forward on his shoulders, he would start stalking forward, he would lower his head. He was ready for a battle that he had already been subjected to once before. Um, I guess the dog was loose in the neighborhood and attacked him and his dog. And luckily both of them survived, but it obviously left quite a mark on the dog. So he had for a while been avoiding that area um, after trying to pass it several times and it just being an absolute disaster. Like his dog got to the point where he was trying to scale the fence to get at this dog and give him the what for. So. You have to choose your battles until you get somebody qualified involved and i do mean qualified qualified doesn't mean somebody who answers the phone who says they're a dog trainer when you're dealing with um specifically anxiety and aggression i always re- recommend uh, a qualified behaviorist who you've spoken with people who have had success through their programs who you could call with questions as they begin to crop up which they definitely will so anticipate that you're going to need somebody that's easy to get in touch with. So perspective is important. Somebody that could come to your home is even better, Um, or the area where you're having a trigger point. Bringing them to a neutral territory, while you may be able to improve some behavior, you're still not going to be facing the demon at some point. So you need to have your mind in the direction that ultimately your goal is. If, If you work a problem everywhere but where the problem is, you're not actually going to resolve it. However, you can build on those experiences and start creating a mentality just the way you created anticipation of a negative response, you can anticipate a positive response. And you're probably sitting there thinking, well, how is that even possible? How can I get the dog that now hates the neighbor's dog that's already attacked him and me to all of a sudden like the neighbor's dog on a log? Well, it's all about timing. Uh, your timing has to be impeccable. And that's why I'm recommending a professional. It has to be consistent, it has to be on, and you're not even going to know when those moments are very, I mean, you could be very intuitive, but you're gonna miss some of those moments, and every moment you miss is another tick against the history you're trying to fight. So, or or train against, or reprogram, whatever sort of terminology you want. Really, what I'm saying is to reach your goal, you're gonna have to do it in stages and having An experienced hand can be a godsend to both you and the dog. You know, I remember clients calling me and being like, oh, thank you so much. I just, I didn't know what to do. And you, you shouldn't know what to do necessarily. I mean, not everybody is ready for what materializes as a dog owner and not all things are just straight negligence in every case. There are genetic cases uh, where dogs are more obsessive, and so their cases of anticipation um, and their proclivities are more inflammatory than, say, a dog that has a really laid-back nature like mine. You know, he can be inflammatory from time to time, he can be naughty, he can go into his barking fits because he's a puppy, he's testing me. He wants to see where I stand. But that's actually the most important part of what I'm getting into today. And that's into how anticipation can shape behavior long-term. So what starts as, you know, an incidental situation, can then become, okay, well, let me test and see if it happens that same way again. And if it does, that becomes the pattern we spoke about. Okay, so why is that such a huge problem? The problem is, is that when you have a pattern change, you have emotional change. And once you have emotional change, now you've got a disaster. Whether it's a super happy, excited dog who's pulling you down the street to see every neighbor and every neighbor's dog, and even the ones that don't like other dogs, or it's a situation where it doesn't get so out of control and you just have a dog drooling all over your floor every morning because they know the cookies are coming out along with breakfast time, or even perhaps you've given them some scraps from the table and they start barking at you because you know they're anticipating a reward and now they're trying to demand the reward. So everything has really early stages that if we had just nipped it in the bud when it became the problem it was and we recognized it for what it was at the time, we could have derailed the process that we hate a year from then. And usually with dogs, I'm going to tell you, they they work in very short order. I've even the most severe aggression cases usually happened or became real problems within, at the longest, eight months. Um, you know, there was one case where there were a couple of moves, so that shifted things up because every time you move and the dog relocates, it's like you're shaking in Etch-a-Sketch at, at and they're just reacclimating. Just like you move into an apartment and you're like, okay, where am I going to put all my stuff? They move into the same apartment, they're like, okay, what do I do here? Are the, sa- are the rules the same, <laughs> you know? And just by saying that, my mind immediately flicks to Jurassic Park and how the Velociraptors are, like, perpetually testing their limits. There are some dogs and some breeds that will do that. I don't like to say it's a specific breed that will always do that, because within any breed, there's always one or two or a handful that do not qualify within their own breed category. I mean... There are a couple dogs I worked with that were completely opposite of what they should have been genetically. I mean, physically, they they looked like the breed that they were, um, but emotionally and drive-wise, it just wasn't there. <laughs> so, like, for example, I saw a greyhound, and while built exactly like a greyhound, had zero prey drive, um, had high energy, but, I mean, that can be expected, especially with a puppy. But just, I mean, really aggressive responses, which generally I haven't seen in greyhounds, and I've worked with greyhounds for many, many years. So I can tell you that's it's very uncommon for what you would associate to be with a greyhound. They're usually very calm, cool, and collected dogs. They have their moments where they get the zoomies and they dart around the yard and they get all excited, or maybe they're happy when you're home, but generally they're couch potatoes. When it comes to dealing with varying forms of anticipation, I say the best way to handle it is to keep everything in check. Have While you have a routine, don't be so regimented by that by 7.05 every morning, your dog knows that that food is in his bowl. You don't wanna be that predictable because one day you're not gonna make it at 7.05 in the morning and your dog is going to have a meltdown because they're so routine-oriented. And this can vary from dog to dog. You know, even routine-oriented dogs, some of them can handle the 7.08 feeding time and, and it won't even hit the Richter scale, but some dogs that are really hooked into routine and very bonded with their owners, not to say others aren't, um, but just more keyed into schedule and the nuances of a schedule. Oh my gosh, you might as well have just thrown them out and said you you didn't care about their morning anymore because, I mean, they're not going to give a crap about you having coffee. They're going to be making your morning miserable. And some dogs I've seen actually rebel when their expectations weren't met in time. Now, there are people out there that will say well, they're not spiteful. And, I, and I, I would agree with that. Dogs aren't spiteful, but they are observant and they are problem solvers. So it would be a little ignorant to assume that they couldn't figure out that by <laughs> doing something or another, that perhaps you might take notice of their distaste for a situation later on. Now, I, I say that very hesitantly because I don't want the association, association or assumption to be made That's what I I should say, the assumption to be made here that I'm saying, well, every time your dog eliminates when you leave, he knows what he's doing wrong and he's doing it because you leave. Not necessarily. You may not have established a really good foundation of potty training. So there's a lot of reasons why dogs can do things in a ritualistic manner. And most of them, I'd say nearly all of them come back to us and the things that we have trained and the things that we've trained unintentionally. So I, I mentioned earlier how my dog, you know, went about bopping on the door. And I had to escort him back to his place and and tell him where he needed to be and what he needed to be doing. And there's safety and information for dogs. You just don't want to get too much verbiage in there. Simple cues, real communication, a little assurance, you know, um, treats can be very helpful, uh, but at least physical contact where they get a physical A little pet, you know, oh, what a good boy, those things, they're getting that feedback and that gives them trust in the relationship and the dynamic that you're trying to build. I think all too often we are neglecting of the things that we want to see more of. We just, we're like, oh, that's, we don't even take notice of it almost, you know, but if they jump on their hind legs and they're trying to get the ham off the counter, Oh my God, Fido is just off the rails. And do we need a stretch? Do they make doggy straight jackets? So you have to think in terms of what could this turn into. And if it starts turning into something, and maybe you didn't catch it earlier, it's not too late. You don't just let it go. Just start backing up a little bit. And by the way, if you have very specific questions about anticipate anticipatory behaviors then please email me at dog here for you at gmail.com or you can join us on uh the facebook groups it's dog guru hounds if you search on facebook for that and then uh dog guru podcast uh facebook.com slash Dogguru podcast if you aren't if you haven't already liked our page that's the best place to follow us and what's going on now I also mentioned a dog who previously had no history of aggression, but then every time the owner would approach on this particular portion of the walk, the dog would start getting jazzed up and, you know, lowering his head, preparing for war, like I said earlier, preparing for battle, for another endeavor that would not be savory for either of them. And perhaps he just had every intention of winning, which you can't blame him, I mean... mean, who wants to get beat up twice right so anyway we're on the walk and i see him getting charged up and rather than continuing in that direction i stop when i see the first sign of stress yawning can be stress licking can be stress when when i was describing the behaviors that he would exhibit i wasn't that was during a consult i don't need the dog to get to that level during training work my goal is not to continue re-engaging with the fire. It's to start putting them out and teaching them coping mechanisms, better and healthier skills to manage stress. And also for the owner, because, you know, unknowingly his owner was getting just as stressed as he was. He was getting nervous that they were getting closer to the house. He didn't want his dog to be stressed. He didn't, he didn't want to give up, but he also didn't know how to be unemotional. And, you know, one thing about a good uh, trainer that can actually run over to you, somebody who has hands-on experience and also the education and and the wherewithal to back it up, that's when you can have security in knowing, okay, there is someone who is going to walk me through this process, I won't be doing it wrong anymore, I'm going to be making progress and headway. And that needs to be playing in your mind constantly. This is going to get better. Oh, it's going to get better. Oh, he's improving. Oh, she's improving. If you see zero improvement whatsoever, it's time to take inventory of what you're really applying with what you've been asked to do, versus what you're picking and choosing. Because I can tell you, one of any trainer's pet peeves or behaviorists alike, um, if if no one, if if you take our help and ask for it our main goal is to give you the best treatment plan available for your individual case or at least i would hope that that's the goal for every trainer out there um in my view nobody gets into working with dogs because they want to be harmful towards them they want to enjoy what they already enjoy and just make money at it so when i started seeing the dog get charged up, we would have to stop. I would ask the dog to sit. I would ask the dog for eye contact. I would re- get the dog to reconnect to me, focus on me, and then we would return to the walk. Still heading in the direction of the trigger. And now, we didn't make... we didn't. The very first time, we didn't make it all the way to the yard. Why was I going to blow him up like that? There was no reason to do that. Because at one point, we got, oh, I would say, two blocks away from what we'll call the red zone. And... He he was showing me enough progress and enough promise that I was like, this is where we stop. And the guy goes, well, we're only two blocks away. And I said, you know, sometimes you quit while you're ahead and have a good memory because you don't want them to unravel in your hands because that breaks trust, which then brings me to another form of anticipation, and that's relationship, anticipation, and trust. Now, that seems kind of, um, I mean, a little far-fetched. Most people look at me and they go, well, no matter what I say to my dog, he'll come back running and licking my face. Yes, that's true, but that has nothing to do with trust. Your dog is not going to um, adhere to your will in every context or certainly not respect you in a public format if you don't have a rapport that would give them incentive to do that. And I don't mean incentive like cookies. I mean incentive like how often do you sit down with your dog and have a good session and it's not complicated and then you have a good play time and then they can go go be a dog if you're not doing that often enough often enough in your day you're shorting them and you're shorting the relationship you could be building and you are for sure it is for sure going to affect your training and the quality of of responses you receive in return from your dog because if they don't have a lot of investment why are they going to be invested or get more invested or try for you. You know, some dogs are just biddable and day after day they're steady as the sun, but that doesn't mean that given a little incentive they couldn't grow even further or be capable of more. I remember after that first day with the German Shepherd and how we approached how the gentleman, as we were walking away, he started taking, you know, deep slow breaths and you know, I stopped and I just talked about, you know, this car that we saw that it just happened to be a really nice car. I was like, that oh, man, wouldn't it be nice to have one of those? And he says, oh, yeah. So I broke the tension. And I think a good sign is being able to read the owner as much as the dog. If you can't read them both, the relationship is going to have more turbulence than it necessarily needs to if someone can guide the conversation. You know, if I can help you decompress a little bit, your dog is going to read that emotion on you. So even while you're not directly talking to your dog, you're not addressing them and you're just distracted, that distraction is helping your dog too. Um, Stress relief techniques are so important. And actually I mentioned last month that we are going to be having Jane Miller back. And I'm so grateful that she's gonna be joining us again because she has a whole set of things that she talked about. She had a whole seminar actually about stress relief techniques for humans and their dogs. And it's just a phenomenal seminar and I can't wait for her to share some of her knowledge with us again. Um, it was such a pleasure to have her the last time. So I say all of this because anticipation can be an aid and it can be, it can be the killer of training dreams. You know, you have to manage it like you would manage your own stress you know, or blood sugar if you were diabetic. You have to be in check. And when you check out, your dog checks out. Or they check in, which is worse. (laughs) Because if they check in and start making all of the decisions, then you're not making any of them and you're gonna be way overwhelmed in very short order. I I remember one client calling me one time and she just said, I just don't think there's any way we could ever improve this. And much like the phone call I got from the gentleman with the, the German Shepherd, And I told them both, you have to have faith in this process before you ever sit down with me. I'm sure that there were people before me that you've spoken to that have either worked with a trainer or maybe you yourself have, but you have to meet with me one-on-one and decide for yourself if this is a good fit for you. And if it is a good fit for you, I will foster the relationship that you guys, I will help you foster the relationship that you guys fight or that is vital to overcoming your your issue, the, the issues that you're struggling with, but I'm also here to try and give you a sense of support so that you don't feel abandoned in this whole process and just feel like you just have to read through Google and hope that maybe something will stick. Because then comes up questions like, well, how long do I do this? How do I know if it's really fixing the problem? You know, when do I start closing in further? These are questions for experienced professionals, somebody who can point you in the right direction. And then let's talk about how anticipation can't always be a negative thing. Anticipation can be a wonderful thing. If a dog anticipates that every time he does something that makes you proud, he's going to get a pat on the head or a ball is going to be thrown into the yard for him to go grab, I feel like that's a really good deal for the dog. You know, not on a workload scale, but just in an enjoyment scale. So relationship is paramount. And in almost every podcast, episode that I air I, I talk about relationship and connection because without them you're going to fall apart but with the anticipation not being managed you fall apart with the best of intentions and with the most consistency because you haven't started checking in when your dog is is hyper aware or is triggered in some way you know think of it that this way if you went to a restaurant and you ordered a burger and fries and <laughs> you you get a bag And you bring it into your car, and you're so hungry, and you've been smelling the restaurant, you open up the bag, and it's chicken nuggets. And you're like, this isn't what I ordered. That anticipation and those expectations have just been violated. So now you may go and correct the problem, sure. But next time you're out driving around, no matter how much you like that restaurant, the first thing you're going to think about is what happened that last time when you ordered that food. Oh, even if it's not... Even if it's not something that will completely turn you off of going back to the restaurant, it might be as simple as, oh yeah, I remember the last time I was there, I got chicken nuggets. I'll have to check the bag twice next time. So see, there you are accounting just like your dog would. You're accounting for the event before it's ever happened. You're anticipating it happened possibly, at least the possibility of it happening again. And you're reacting in kind to it. You're either making a decision never to frequent that restaurant again, or perhaps pick somewhere else this evening, or maybe you're gonna bite the bullet and just make sure somebody you know, got the order correct and walk out a happy customer. It's all about choices, but when it comes to a relationship with dogs, you're the one who's making those choices. You're the one holding the reins and guiding. And I do mean guiding. I don't like demanding things of dogs. That said, there are do- there are times where your dog is going to go back and forth with you and you can't lose. It's just like with a, t- with a, a child. It's not that you have every battle, but the battles that you have, they should be hands off. You shouldn't have to be physically aggressive with them, but they should be clear. And you shouldn't be angry in that process either. You should be as calm as possible. And I know we're all human. I'm never going to sit here and say that I've never gotten frustrated and been like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> I that, that's stupid. Of course I've gotten to that point. But I think I have to say yoga really inspired a lot of what I did in my career towards the end of it, which, or even into now, which was Te- teaching people how to manage and find a safe place emotionally and a, 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 a portion of their day that is relaxing. Even better if I can, you know, group them in with their dog and bring everybody back together onto the same page and they can finally have the relationship either they had before or perhaps they that she was, she, you know, an owner, he or she was anticipating the entire time. And that's really why I did what I did for as long as I did it. It wasn't because it was the easiest thing to do. It was uh, really emotionally taxing work for me if I'm being completely transparent. Um, And one reason why I'm only doing consulting work right now and and web sessions. So if you're interested in either of those, please uh, check the show notes. I always have a link in there if you'd like to schedule with me. The best way to schedule though, um, especially more recently since the calendar is filling up quite a bit is just go ahead and um, email me and I'll get you the next available slot and we'll, we'll go ahead and meet that way. I would love to help owners who are out there who are listening to the show and they need some guidance and perhaps you're dealing with issues that you're thinking, oh, well, anticipation. Of course my dog's anticipating a bad event. How do I handle this? How do I turn this around? Uh, so sessions with me one-on-one are exactly where we would discuss things, exact, things like that. I've even had people send videos ahead to me and say, you know, this is what my dog is doing. So this way I have even a visual of what's going on. So the more information you send, the better. Um, and if you're interested in that, we're still running a special for that. So please email me. It's dog here for you at gmail.com. If you would like a private session with me, they can also be recorded so you can listen to them later on. So it's kind of like your private one-on-one podcast with me. So now some of you are probably sitting there wondering, did we ever turn the corner and get all the way to that house or even close to that house with the German Shepherd? And the answer is yes, we did. And actually we did it in four weeks. And I was doing only we- once a week sessions. I- the most I would do with a client would be twice in a week. And that was in very, very rare and volatile cases where the owner themselves could have been at risk, and but they didn't have the ability to turn the dog over to somebody like me. Uh, be it finances or feasibility in, in other areas be distance what have you so anyway we were meeting once a week and on and it wasn't our final session it's not that we didn't have more work to do after that we did. Before the owner felt completely comfortable letting me go, it was really I was ready before he was. Uh, but before he felt really comfortable, he wanted to put the dog in every possible situation and just fully vet him, which I felt was a very responsible decision. In fact, I would guide clients through that. It's just. I studied behavior and I was studying his dog's behavior constantly so I could see what was underneath the hood even though he couldn't. So sometimes you have to manage emotions with a client. If it makes them feel more comfortable, I see no reason doing it if it's not harmful to the animal or the client or someone else. Certainly it wasn't harmful to me if the client needed a little bit more one-on-one with somebody who was experienced in case something did pop up that he wasn't accounting for or ready for. So by the fourth class we made it all the way to the um uh, by the fourth class we made it all the way to the house and the other dog on the other side of the fence i mean i'm surprised the fence fence was still standing because that dog was highly was just highly vo- he was volatile he was pissed off that anybody he, definitely not a socialized dog um i wouldn't bl- blame the fact that he wasn't friendly on himself it, By the looks of it through the fence, not that I was peering on purpose, but there were gaps. He had a chain around his neck and perhaps didn't know much about anything. And the chain was probably a result of this last debacle. So I say all of this because, you know, four weeks is a a really short amount of time for that level of dramatic response to deflate that quickly, but the owner worked on everything in earnest. He applied everything that I asked. And I mean, they worked in such a, I mean, it was like music. It just worked together beautifully. They had such a good rapport before I was ever in the picture that really this was just a hiccup in the relationship where the dog had never lost trust in the owner or the dynamic he had with the owner. He just lost trust in Himself and his his own confidence, and then started getting triggered and wanting to defend his owner because his owner was nervous about the consequences of what could happen. So fast forward a year. If you're wondering if anything ever happened after that, no, nothing negative ever happened to the dog again. They never had another run-in with that neighbor. Um, I'm happy to say I got some photo updates a couple of years ago, and the dog was doing really well, and had already gotten to a point where. He was being used as um, a retired dog from work, but he was now working as a third therapy dog. So, you know, here was a dog that, when he first came to me, he was really standoffish, more so than even the most standoffish German shepherds I had come in contact with. But he had every right to be, in my view, because the last the last stranger he met while furry wasn't that pleasant, and I do know that pretty much his whole life revolves around his owner. So he had a small world. So you know, we talked a lot about, I told his owner, I said, I know you socialize him, but he he needs a relationship with someone outside of you. And he says, well, why is that? And I said, well, because there's gonna be a time where you're delayed from work and maybe the puppy's at the vet. and he's freaking out. (laughs) And he goes, you know, that's something I never thought of. And I said, well, that's what I'm here for. So, you know, we worked on social protocol. He actually started having his girlfriend at the time, now wife, uh, walk the dog in the evenings. He taught her all the same training. And then they started fostering a relationship. And so levels of anticipation that were there, uh, with him and the dog, weren't even there with, the wife and the dog. I mean, when she would walk the dog to the same area, the dog would never even tense up because at that point, he wasn't keying into the, he wasn't keying into just the environment. He was keying into the owner and wanting to protect dad. So just be really mindful of your behavior because like I said, emotion feeds from one end to the other of the leash. So the more awareness that you have, the the more it is going to affect them. You certainly don't want to be tightening up on your leash and, and walking closer and closer, and you're, you're getting a tightness in your chest, and then you're feeling sick, that is not the way to handle your stress. You need to stop where you are, breathe, and then start again. Keep moving, You know, go as far as you possibly can emotionally, but don't overtax yourself to the point that you're laying in bed and completely emotionally obliterated. It's not worth it. And your dog is not going to learn from it anyway. It's not gonna be any benefit to them to do it that way. So I hope i've given you some food for thought on things like anticipation since that was a a somewhat long-winded topic if you have any questions you've already heard about how to get in touch with me you can always check our show notes and then um, please join us on facebook and we do have an instagram and a twitter as well i am really excited to announce that we are going to have patricia mcconnell She's served as a huge inspiration for my career, but she's also a phenomenal author and speaker. So if you have any interest in any of her books or you have interest in checking her out, please check out our previous episode and also our Facebook page. I've posted links to her information. it's definitely worth a read. I mean, anybody who knows anything about animal behavior has heard her name. So, so very excited that she'll be joining us and recording with us. And in the meantime, if you need to reach me or would like to schedule a private session, please do so at you at gmail.com. That's it for me today, everybody. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our